Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Football preseason has arrived, and baseball is coming down to the wire. BetOnline has you covered for the rest of the summer and beyond with the best odds, promos, payouts, and parlays. Use our promo code BLEAV50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. afternoon or good night however and whenever it is you may be listening thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the take it easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is August 8th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count. It might be August 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, or it could be September, October, November, December. However and whenever it is you are listening, we appreciate you stopping in. We have got a fantastic episode today. It's our Monday episode of the show. We've been off for a weekend. It's the middle of August. There was a Hall of Fame ceremony, which meant the Hall of Fame game in the NFL, which I'm, I am I made this tweet and it went a little viral. I am glad that we all stopped pretending that we watched the NFL Hall of Fame game. It is pointless. It's a week before all the other football. Some people can gamble on it if they so choose. I would argue that horse racing is a more efficient form of gambling than the NFL Hall of Fame game, but to each their own. It's a nationally televised broadcast, and because it's football, it brings in like 30 million viewers. Hall of Fame game? Yeah, we're not going to care about that at all. Last year, I had talks about Hall of Fame memories, and uh, that involved Peyton Manning and the idea of Calvin Johnson being in the Hall of Fame because he's the first athlete that I watched his entire career. Uh, I didn't have such a case this year, but Hall of Fame ceremony was in the day. I was on a flight during it, so don't have Hall of Fame ceremony talk. So this weekend, and really going back to last week as a whole, because of course Friday was our wonderful podcast with Danny Sanders talking about the fall of the Spurs dynasty, and Thursday was our 1,000th episode. So if we want to go all the way back to Wednesday through Sunday, I spent about four days being a little bit too obsessed with my beloved hometown San Diego Padres, because the San Diego Padres had uh, a big old trade on Tuesday, that then played out with Juan Soto and Josh Bell showing up in Padres uniforms for the first time. And I want to talk about this and the moment of euphoria that I had in the middle of August as a San Diego Padres fan, and I hope talking about emotions that many people can relate to as sports fans. But before we get to that, I want to play this setup for the segment, which is a new bit that we concocted, and I haven't been able to concoct a bit in a while. Uh, I was graduating from college over the past six months, and then during all of July, we spent close to 100 hours 
writing, producing, and publishing the Fall of the Spurs Dynasty podcast, which I'd argue is the ultimate bit. But when we're talking about a bit, we're talking about me committing three hours of work for a joke that is three minutes long. And we had exactly that following the San Diego Padres acquisition of Juan Soto and their series this weekend against the Los Angeles Dodgers, which we're going to get to all of that here in the episode, hence why the episode is titled San Diego Padres and Los Angeles Dodgers. And so part of that is going to involve me unveiling a new segment, or I'm sorry, a new bit that I have released, a three-minute long joke. It's not a parody song, but it is a parody to Star Wars, because you can draw some pretty great jokes out of this Padres and Dodgers Star Wars-themed story, which I'm going to share with you right now. Episode 4. The Holy Dodger Empire continues their reign over the West. In previous years, the Holy Dodger Empire dismantled the once great Royal Cardinals, establishing a new power within the galaxy. The Holy Dodger Empire defeated the Royal Cardinals, invaded the Mill of Waukee, and vanquished the 107-win Giants. In the meantime, the Holy Dodger Empire pillaged both the Purple Rockies and the Backs of Diamond in Arizona. These invasions increased the Empire's wealth tenfold. Their resources are unmatched, their power is unquestioned. With the West and the Central firmly in control, the Holy Dodger Empire sets their sights on a new conquest, the Eastern Empire State. If the Holy Dodger Empire defeats Master Cohen and his Met army of queens, there will be nothing left to stop them from conquering the galaxy. To the south, a small resistance forms in San Diego. While outnumbered and outresourced, the resistance fights for their very existence against the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. It's a changing time in the galaxy. The once great Imperial Nationals of Washington have fallen. Years earlier, the Imperial Nationals once defeated the Holy Dodger Empire at the Battle of Strasbourg. Now, they find themselves bankrupt and selling pieces to the highest bidder. In this collapse, the Holy Dodger Empire captured a great captain known as Mad Max, who helped strengthen the Holy Dodger Empire's hold on the galaxy. However, Mad Max has escaped and defected to Master Cohen and the Met Army of Queens. He will spend whatever years he has left fighting to dismantle the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. And now, the legendary Imperial Captain Juan Soto has joined the Resistance after paying his debt to Kara the Hutt. To San Diego, Captain Juan Soto brings with him the Imperial National's mighty Josh Bell. Joining Captain Soto, is Lord Hader, the supreme closer of the Mill of Waukee, called to fight by the message of the Resistance and the possibility of bringing balance to the Force. The Resistance has paid a heavy price, yet they have never been closer to defeating the Holy Dodger Empire. All right, and we pick up the story from there. I hope you guys enjoyed that because I remind you it took three hours to write all of those baseball puns, 
some of which I'm very proud of. Like, Juan Soto and Han Solo writes itself, Lord Hader writes itself, but Battle of Strasbourg, Master Cohen, Met Army instead of Clone Army, come on, these jokes are really, really good. If you didn't get them on the first time around, there'll be plenty of more chances to listen back to it. But I want to talk about the Padres first and foremost right now before I just keep playing this fun bit over and over again. So this last week I traveled home to San Diego and it was a great trip. I got a whole bunch of oxytocin. Great to see my family again. I haven't lived there in, in close to four years now. And it was great to just go back home for, for a little trip, get that little oxytocin boost, come back and feel rejuvenated. But it was especially cool to be in San Diego this week from like a non like, hey, I love my family and have perspective in life. It was great to be in San Diego because you got to watch the San Diego Padres first games of Juan Soto, Josh Bell, Brandon Drury, Josh Hader, all the players that the Padres traded for at the trade deadline that signify, as the story said, like the best chance the Padres have to beating the Dodgers and winning a National League pennant. Which, by the way, they could beat the Dodgers and still lose the National League pennant because Master Cohen and the Met Army is actually pretty good this year and is behind the Dodgers, the second best team in the National League. So, I was there the day after the Padres acquired Juan Soto. So, I flew in on Wednesday. Wednesday was the first day that the Padres played against the Rockies. First games of Juan Soto, Josh Bell, Brandon Drury, uh, second, no, first game of Josh Hader, too. So first game with all four of the new players on the Padres. And that game was the third largest selling ticket of the season for the Padres. And again, the, like this is a Wednesday afternoon at like six o'clock. Like the, this is not supposed to match up with like opening day or the Dodgers coming to town this beat those numbers, and by the way, the two games that it was behind, it was only behind by like 200 tickets. Like, basically all the tickets got sold, it was a matter of how many people actually showed up to the game. It was like a 200-seat difference. Every single seat packed at Petco Park. And with good reason, it was the biggest regular season game of the year, because baseball just doesn't matter in the regular season. But you got to stop in and see the incredible first game of Juan Soto and Josh Bell and all of these new players the Padres have. It's a huge deal for a baseball. I mean, it, it's the biggest trade in the history of the trade deadline, maybe in the history of baseball, at least for a generation. Like Giancarlo Stanton or Miguel Cabrera are probably trades that are behind Juan Soto. The point still stands of a generation, the biggest trade that has existed in baseball especially one at the trade deadline. So like mid-season, you're immediately getting these new players and they get to play the next day after all of the excitement of the trade where like when Giancarlo Stanton gets traded to the Yankees, you have to wait three months for Stanton to play his first game. You get the immediate reaction after spending all day on Tuesday celebrating the fact that Juan Soto got traded to the Padres. So sell out at Petco Park. The first inning... The Padres fans are just yelling. The entire crowd is standing up and yelling and screaming like it's a playoff football game. That's the kind of excitement that this broadcast brings. And, and I was watching the game. Mark Grant's been calling the Padres games for 25 years now on the broadcast. And he said, 
Never seen Petco Park like that before. Never seen the stadium like this before. And that's really cool for me because I'm a Padres fan. If you're a fan of another team, it might not have that same type of moment. But the idea that a baseball game in August has a playoff football atmosphere is something that resonates, I guess, across different fan bases. And I assume most people here aren't like me where they're usually fan agnostic with their watching of sports. In this case... I think you can relate in some way, shape, or form if your teams have had some modicum of success over the past uh, however many years. At least as a fan base, you can relate to that level of excitement because sports bring that level of excitement every now and then. And so in the first inning, the Padres had a 2-3-4-5-6 batting lineup of Juan Soto, Manny Machado, Josh Bell, Jake Cronenworth, and Brandon Drury. And Fernando Tatis would have been the number one hitter. He's about to come back for the Padres sometime next week. For the time being, it was five All-Stars back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back in the lineup for the Padres. Three of them playing their first game with the Padres. So there's that level of excitement already there for, hey, this is the first time 40% of your lineup is going to get to bat. And like I keep saying all the time, the Atlanta Braves rebuilt half of their offense at the trade deadline last year. Four different players acquired and started games in the World Series. They won the World Series. World Series MVP was Jorge Soler. They traded for him at the trade deadline. NLCS MVP was Eddie Rosario. They traded for him at the trade deadline. Jock Peterson became fan favorite with the Pearls. He was acquired at the trade deadline. Adam Duvall was their five hitter during the playoff run. He was acquired at the trade deadline. Four of their eight hitters acquired at the trade deadline, won a World Series. So there's that level of excitement for the Padres. You have Juan Soto, who is one of the greatest 23-year-old baseball players in history, right up there with the Stan Musials and the Ted Williams and the Miguel Cabreras, and Josh Bell, who's an all-star, and Brandon Drury, who has all-star level numbers this year. Okay, they're all about to bat for the first time. Juan Soto draws a walk. Manny Machado hits a double. Josh Bell draws a walk, so now the bases are loaded. Jake Cronenworth gets hit by a pitch, and that scores the first run for the Padres. So Petco's already on fire. You've just watched Juan Soto bat and Josh Bell bat. They got walks, which is, again, baseball, so a walk can be relatively exciting. You've just scored your first run. You have the bases loaded, one out, and first pitch, Brandon Drury hits a grand slam. Hits a grand slam in the first inning with everyone standing and yelling in a way that before the inning started, Mark Grant is saying he's never seen Petco Park this energetic for the first inning of any baseball game ever. And then you hit a grand slam in the first pitch that this player sees as a San Diego Padre. And it was, and this is not a euphemism or anything like that, it was the best feeling I've had watching sports since the Bills and the Chiefs AFC Divisional Playoff game last year. I guess it was January, but Bills versus Chiefs seven months ago was the last time I felt like I felt watching that Grand Slam. Because it was pure excitement from a city that I come to find home. And this is the relationship that I have learned to develop with my hometown sports team. There's this excitement about my hometown team. 
And it's a really healthy thing for anyone to experience is that sort of, uh, not civic pride, but pride for your home, pride for the people in your community and that sense of belonging that brings people to being sports fans in the first place. Because ultimately sports fandom is a bit of tribalism. It's about finding a group of people with a shared interest and finding a sense of belonging that makes us, you know, it, it satisfies the basic human instinct of you want to find a group that's ultimately a basic human instinct is to find groups of people who relate to you and find protection and deliver you serotonin and oxytocin which are the the chemicals of love and trust and pride and those the basic level that's just the chemical and the the chemistry reaction to why we are sports fans in the first place there's a great book that's been written about sports fandoms too if you want to check it out and so there was this excitement about my hometown sports team and the pro the the new perspective that i have around this because uh there's a great saying by ice cube if you hate the place you come from you'll always be miserable you want to love the place that you come from because it will make your life happier it will bring you more fond memories of your time in childhood that probably weren't as rosy as you remember them. I think most people who love where they come from have much fonder memories about what the place they come from is like. It's why everyone says, oh, this town is the best town. If I had a dollar for every person who says my hometown is the best town and I'd never want to live anywhere else, I think that's a, a human reaction to remember the good over the bad, which I think is a great perspective to have in love for your hometown because like Ice Cube said, you'll be miserable if you hate where you come from. And this new perspective I have on sports and on life that I've developed over the past few years, and we'll talk about this more when we talk about Padres and Dodgers, but this perspective that I've learned in life is that it's okay to just have the good feelings of civic pride and rooting for a hometown sports team. Because for years, I rooted for the San Diego Padres with the desire of this is about winning championships. And when you have a team that doesn't spend in the top half of the MLB payroll and is not a smart organization and hasn't won a championship in their 50 years of existence, you're going to drive yourself insane if the bar is championship. And we talk about this a lot in terms of sports fandoms. I've changed on this perspective over the years. You know, people say the championship is the only thing that matters. And that should be true for someone who has a stake in the game, like running the team. It should not be the case for fans. Fans will make themselves miserable if they set the bar so high that it is an unattainable goal that will only be reached every three decades. Because it, the championship is not worth the, the investment that you're making. The thousands of hours you're investing in the team, the misery that results from it, it's not worth it. It's not worth the one championship that you get. Trust me, it's not. Kevin Durant psychology on this one. We've talked about this a lot on the podcast. And I think that new perspective that I've had has made it easier to just enjoy watching the Padres. Sure, they might beat the Dodgers. Sure, they might beat the Giants. I want them to beat the Giants. It would be great to have a relevant team. And I love the fact that I have a relevant team and the perspective to recognize that if the Padres ever aren't relevant anymore, I just won't watch. If a, a basketball team I love... Is, I mean, the Sacramento Kings are that team now, I won't watch. I'll do something else with my time. And that's a perspective that I didn't have as a child. I drove myself insane 
caring so much about the result for things that in the grand scheme of things do not matter. Like, we're not out here curing cancer by rooting for sports teams, and I'm not out here curing cancer by doing sports podcasts and making funny Star Wars jokes. It's entertainment. It's about fun chemical reactions and and fun emotions and outpouring of joy. And I got that on Wednesday, being surrounded by my grandparents who really enjoy watching the Padres every night as their form of entertainment. That was the emotional reaction that I think I want to strive for when I root for sports teams. And the reason I got that from Bills and Chiefs was just the product was so good. The stakes were so high. The storylines were so high. And Patrick Mahomes is someone who I've emotionally invested in because I've talked about before how the reason this podcast exists and the reason I wanted to be a sports talk person when I was kind of falling out of love with sports once the Chargers left when I was in 10th grade. I was falling out of love with football. I was falling out of love with baseball to a certain extent because I wasn't watching the games as consistently as I once did. The reason I wanted to to get back into this analyst thing and start learning how to to talk on on broadcasts was because of Patrick Mahomes in that 2018 Chiefs season. I, I call it renewing my vows with football. And I think my vows are starting to fade a little bit. It's served its purpose over four years. It got me back into football. It's helped me further along this career and making sports my job. I think I'm less engaged with football than I was in past years, and I think that's much healthier for me at the same time. And yet, when Patrick Mahomes was scoring that field goal with uh, 11 seconds left, 13 ticks, and uh, scoring the field goal, and then going to overtime and beating the Buffalo Bills, I got weirdly emotional. I And I got that same emotional feeling watching Brandon Drury hit that grand slam because the stakes were high, even if they weren't actually that high. You could convince yourself that this first at-bat and the emotions of the crowd in San Diego was stakes enough, and the storylines were through the roof. I mean, biggest trade in the history of baseball. Padres have just revamped a third of their offense they've gotten rid of a fourth or they've they've gotten rid of close to a fourth of the team if you count Hosmer Voigt Abrams Mackenzie Gore Taylor Rogers Denelson Lamette they've basically given up like 10 players on the team and they've added six new players and four of them the biggest four are all getting to start on the same day And that story is freaking awesome. And it was awesome to watch it happen and have that emotional reaction because the stakes in the storylines were higher than they've been, I think, since 2020 for the Padres. So two years when they were in the playoffs, playing the Cardinals, which was also one of the most euphoric sports moments I've ever had, was that magical game two where the Padres came back against the Cardinals and won like 12 to 11 biggest moment for Padres fans since then and you got that incredible emotional reaction and to be surrounded by my family instead of either people who aren't Padres fans or just watching a game on my computer by myself just added a chef's kiss to the emotional reaction to that and I thought that was absolutely incredible so much so that I wanted to share that feeling with all of you in the hopes that it reminds you of another magical sports moment that you've had in your life. Hopefully with the perspective to recognize all of this is about entertainment and all of this is about enjoyment. And we all come from somewhere. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably someone who grew up rooting for a specific sports team. 
And you probably have a moment yourself that reminds you of something similar to what I had with the San Diego Padres yesterday. Wherever that hometown team may be and whatever that moment may be, you probably have a moment like that that brings back fond memories. And I'm really glad that I got, and I'm really grateful that I got to have that moment following the Padres' big trades. It was the best moment I've had in sports since that Bills and Chiefs game with the emotional reaction to all of that. And it's the best feeling I've had watching my hometown San Diego Padres since the playoffs in 2020. And if you can create that level of stakes and storylines, even I, the cynic who says that people invest way too much of their emotional stability in sports teams, will succumb and give in to the emotional beauty of sports and getting to watch your team in your stadium, the stadium that you've been to four dozen, five dozen, six dozen times with it entirely packed and people yelling and screaming and hugging each other like it's a playoff football game with 100,000 people when it's actually 40,000 people in a stadium in San Diego on a regular season game in August. Episode 4. The Holy Dodger Empire continues their reign over the West. In previous years, the Holy Dodger Empire dismantled the once great Royal Cardinals, establishing a new power within the galaxy. The Holy Dodger Empire defeated the Royal Cardinals, invaded the Mill of Waukee, and vanquished the 107-win Giants. In the meantime, the Holy Dodger Empire pillaged both the Purple Rockies and the Backs of Diamond in Arizona. These invasions increased the Empire's wealth tenfold. Their resources are unmatched, their power is unquestioned. With the West and the Central firmly in control, the Holy Dodger Empire sets their sights on a new conquest, the Eastern Empire State. If the Holy Dodger Empire defeats Master Cohen and his Met army of queens, there will be nothing left to stop them from conquering the galaxy. To the south, a small resistance forms in San Diego. While outnumbered and outresourced, the resistance fights for their very existence against the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. It's a changing time in the galaxy. The once great Imperial Nationals of Washington have fallen. Years earlier, the Imperial Nationals once defeated the Holy Dodger Empire at the Battle of Strasbourg. Now, they find themselves bankrupt and selling pieces to the highest bidder. In this collapse, the Holy Dodger Empire captured a great captain known as Mad Max, who helped strengthen the Holy Dodger Empire's hold on the galaxy. However, Mad Max has escaped and defected to Master Cohen and the Met Army of Queens. He will spend whatever years he has left fighting to dismantle the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. And now, the legendary Imperial Captain Juan Soto has joined the Resistance after paying his debt to Kara the Hutt. To San Diego, Captain Juan Soto brings with him the Imperial Nationals' mighty Josh Bell. Joining Captain Soto, is Lord Hader, the supreme closer of the Mill of Waukee, called to fight by the message of the Resistance and the possibility of bringing balance to the Force. The Resistance has paid a heavy price, yet they have never been closer to defeating the Holy Dodger Empire.
Again, I'm so proud of all the layered jokes in there. So many good ones. The Battle of Strasbourg. Ah, chef's kiss. It's so good. The Mill of Walkie. Come on, Royal Cardinals. I couldn't fit the Cubs in there anywhere, but the Cubs also got dismantled dismantled by the Holy Dodger Empire. It's it's pretty great, man. I mean, it's it's great. Mad Max. Ah, so good. Loved that. Loved making that. Uh, I want to talk briefly about the Padres and uh, the Dodgers because we already got a lot of the Padres stuff in here. But let's talk about the Dodgers real quick. The the Los Angeles Dodgers have defeated the Padres in 17 of their last 19 games, which in baseball is crazy. Remember, the worst teams in the history of baseball, they win one out of every three games, and the best teams in the history of baseball win two out of every three games. So it's it's a very thin margin of victory over a long baseball season. And the Dodgers have beaten the Padres 17 out of 19 times. That's 17-2, and two, Padres are 2-17. and 17. After... In the 2020 playoffs, which is the first time the Padres have made the playoffs in the last 20 years, my entire memorable lifetime, 17 years to be exact, the Dodgers swept the Padres three games to zero. It was the division series, swept them out of the playoffs. Cody Bellinger robbed a home run. It was it was a rough showing for the Padres, but the Padres, I was just happy to be there. I was like, Ah, tough break. We'll get them next year. Padres miss the playoffs. Then they trade for Juan Soto, and they're guaranteed, not guaranteed, like 88% certain to make the playoffs this year and probably face the Holy Dodger Empire once again. When I was a kid, I used to care so much about the Dodgers because that's what San Diego did. That's what I was taught to do when growing up in San Diego. San Diego has this inferiority complex when it comes to Los Angeles. And it's reactive with business, it's reactive to the people who live there, and it's reactive to the sports teams. Is that there's this inferiority complex with Los Angeles because everyone nationally views San Diego within the context of Los Angeles. San Diego is like the eighth largest city in America. It's now the second most expensive city to live in in California. And San Diego is basically moving the direction of San Francisco and moving the direction of every large city in America except New York and except Los Angeles. And I think that's something that messed with a lot of San Diegans, especially of an older generation. I'm not saying like 80 years old. I'm saying like 40, 50, 60 years old and people who have lived in San Diego forever. There's this inferiority complex because we are viewed within the context of Los Angeles. The, the jokes of people commuting to Los Angeles and being a suburb of LA when Anaheim is a suburb of LA. San Diego is its own giant city. But there's this inferiority complex. Maybe it exists in other places. I know Sacramento has a little bit of it. It's not the same, though. And it's manifested over and over by uh, San Diego sports teams being terrible and all of your sports heroes dying or leaving you to go to Los Angeles like the Clippers and the the Dodgers or sorry the Clippers and the and the Chargers kind of think of it like what Cleveland was to Pittsburgh or what uh I don't know San Antonio is to Austin or San Antonio to Dallas or whatever the the case may be think of it as an inferiority complex a Tampa to Miami something of those sorts and I used to care so much about the Dodgers because that's what San Diego does you want to defeat the Dodgers you hate it when Dodgers fans roll into San Diego and take over the stadium. 
For decades, San Diegans have had that inferiority complex towards LA. And every year when there's a big Dodgers and Padres series, I talk about the Padres and the Dodgers. That's, I mean, it's also a Star Wars joke, but that's part of why this is episode four of this Padres and Dodgers rivalry, because I did a podcast on this in 2020 during the pandemic. I did this podcast when the Padres and Dodgers played in the playoffs. I did this podcast last year when we watched a Padres game with Rafi Cantor and Ben Stein, who who made an incredible documentary series about the uh, the San Diego Chargers leaving San Diego, and they're San Diego born and raised, and we were just having that sense of community that I talked about in the earlier segment. And San Diego is that version of it for us because we all grew up in San Diego. We all have that inferiority complex raised into us by the older generation and passed on down. And so I talk about this series every year. And this is the version of that. Sometimes it's in August, sometimes it's in April, sometimes it's in October. But every year we talk about the Padres and the Dodgers and the inferiority complex of San Diego and all of that. And again, with Rafi and Ben, the last time we did this, it was April of 2021. And 16 months later, I bring a new perspective to this conversation because I don't feel like I've had the perspective that I'm about to articulate before when it comes to Padres and Dodgers. So in essence, this is episode one of a new perspective. Take out the old podcast that we did in 2020 and 2021 because... I feel that I want San Diego to win, and I don't feel like I need it to happen. I used to care so much as a child about the Padres just winning a World Series before the Dodgers. If that could happen, it would hang over them for the rest of time. No matter how many championships the Dodgers win, if the Padres could just get one before the Dodgers got one, you know, at the time the Dodgers were since 1988 without a championship. They had won seven straight division titles or five straight division titles. They won every NL West title going back to 2013. And they still hold that streak. I still want that streak to end. I mean, the, the streak ended last year for the Dodgers, but the Dodgers beat the Giants in the playoffs. So I count that as a victory in favor of the Dodgers with uh, not winning the NL West, but still beating the San Francisco Giants. And that part used to consume me so much was what is the strategy for the Padres to beat the Dodgers and wanting to emotionally invest, but it's not a fair fight. The Dodgers are this perfect combination of team with a gigantic television contract and ownership that is willing to spend money well beyond any luxury tax and willing to spend money in such a way that it changes all of the mathematics and the dynamics of the sport in a way that like wants teams to put in luxury taxes to stop the Dodgers from spending so much money. Just as in the NBA, it wants to stop Joe Lacob from being able to spend a ton of money over the luxury tax and create a competitive imbalance. For Joe Lacob, it's being able to own, and Joe Lacob and the other owner of the Warriors, it's being able to own their own private stadium. And in the case of the Dodgers, it's having a television contract negotiated by themselves that is so much larger than any other MLB team besides the New York Yankees who just own the, the news station that they broadcast Yankees games on. And the Red Sox do the same thing the Dodgers still get even more money on their television contract. And so because of that, because of the fact that the Dodgers are always number one in attendance or always top three in attendance and don't care about maximizing profits, 
the Dodgers have this massive competitive advantage over the rest of the sport that allows them to then hire the greatest general manager in all of baseball in Andrew Friedman, I guess president of baseball ops, but the the best chief baseball decision maker, Andrew Friedman, and trade for Mookie Betts, and trade for Trey Turner, and trade for, uh, I guess in this case it would have been Max Scherzer as well, Mad Max, the captain of the, the Holy Dodger Empire, now of Master Cohen and his Met Army. And they were in the game for Juan Soto, and they've been in the game for other players as well, and they also saved Max Muncy's career because he was in AAA. They picked him up, and he turned into an all-star every year. And they picked up... God, what is the name I'm thinking? Oh, of course, they picked up Justin Turner, and Justin Turner becomes this captain of the Dodgers for six years. And of course, they already have Clayton Kershaw, and then they just pick up Tyler Anderson's, and they pick up Tony Gonsolin's that become star pitchers. And the Dodgers are always good every single year because they are great at developing because they have the best general manager, infinite resources to continue spending, and spend more money on major league level players than any other team in baseball. The Dodgers are meant to be unfair. It's an unfair system, and the Padres are just trying to get in the mix in order to maybe win the random crapshoot that is baseball. Because again, eight different teams have won the last eight World Series. San Francisco, Kansas City, the uh, Chicago Cubs, Houston Astros, Boston Red Sox, Washington Nationals, Los Angeles Dodgers, Atlanta Braves. Last eight years, eight different World Series champions. Baseball's random and weird like that. So just getting in the mix can lead to a random victory. And at this point, I recognize that and have adjusted my expectations and my perspective as a result. Also, just recognizing that there are other things I enjoy other than sports. And I like spending my time other than watching sports games. And I need... I I guess I don't need to have the game go a certain way or put all of my emotional investment in the Padres and beating the Dodgers would be sometimes first and foremost because the Padres miss the playoffs every year so when it got to the playoffs every year I was rooting against the Dodgers I once stayed up eight hours just to watch the Dodgers and Red Sox World Series game I punched a door when the Dodgers beat the Washington Nationals in a meaningless game three of the 20, of the Battle of Strasburg, as I mentioned in the, the Star Wars parody. I cared so much about the Battle of Strasburg. I cared so much about watching the Dodgers lose that by the time a global pandemic happened and the Dodgers won their first World Series, I was looking up and saying, I don't feel, it doesn't feel as shitty as I thought it would. I was so... As a child, I thought so badly that I wanted the Padres to win a World Series instead of the Dodgers. Just win before the Dodgers. I knew the Dodgers couldn't lose forever. I just wanted the Padres to get there one time before the Dodgers. And when the Dodgers won the World Series, I didn't feel all that bad. I didn't feel distraught. I didn't feel upset about it. And in the close to two years since then, my perspective has continued to evolve and adapt and change. To a point now where I can watch the Padres get swept by the Dodgers again, despite the fact they just got Juan Soto and just got Josh Bell, and not feel discouraged at all. I still feel that same level of excitement I talked about from Wednesday. I'm still excited to watch a brand new baseball team, a team that I've rooted for my entire life from my hometown, the only hometown team that we have, and getting to watch that team be relevant and make the playoffs is adjusting the expectations to such a place where I can enjoy it so much more than even my peers who grow up 
born and raised and and some still live in San Diego. I feel like I can enjoy it so much more while it's here. And ultimately, that's the thing I say all the time is important about sports. Appreciate greatness. I don't feel consumed anymore. I can appreciate greatness and get the emotional reaction of rooting for my team, even if I watch them lose an entire sweep against the Holy Dodger Empire this weekend and lose 17 out of 18 or 17 out of 19 games over the last year to the Holy Dodger Empire. I can watch all that happen and still feel encouraged about how the Padres are going to fare in the playoffs if indeed they have to face Master Cohen and the Met Army or the Holy Dodger Empire. I still feel great about the chances. No matter how many regular season losses, no matter how many moments where the Padres are clearly not better than the Dodgers, it's okay. The system's not fair. It's okay if the Padres lose, and that's a weird perspective that I've recognized that I didn't have as a child. And it makes me feel so much better about watching sports and watching my team because I can get the enjoyable moments without having the heartache of having to put way too much of my emotional stability into this baseball team. Instead, I'm going to push all of my emotional stability into this wonderful podcast. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, I have a perspective and look at different things in different ways that I can analyze sports and my life. So it's not quite the same level that it was before. But ladies and gentlemen, we appreciate you stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast and continuing to support the show every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up on Sundays. Make sure to download, follow, leave a five-star review. Check out the Fall of the Spurs Dynasty podcast. It's a five-part documentary podcast series that we made with SB Nation. It's really, really good. All the episodes are out now. Spurs fan or not Spurs fan, it's basically a documentary. And if you like that documentary style of sports and sports narration, like 30 for 30s, I think you're going to enjoy the Fall of the Spurs Dynasty. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, take it easy. We will talk to you tomorrow, and we well, I am going to play you out with the three-hour-long bit that we created. In Well, I guess a three-minute-long bit that took three hours to make, and I regret absolutely nothing about. One of my favorite things of doing podcasts is when I commit 90 minutes to making a 40-second bit or commit three hours to making a three-minute joke about the Holy Dodger Empire and the Star Wars galactic battle going on in baseball and you can bet your ass we're going to play this one over and over again just like we play that Jimmy Garoppolo song over and over and over again so take it easy everybody we will talk to you again tomorrow episode four the holy dodger empire continues their reign over the west In previous years, the Holy Dodger Empire dismantled the once great Royal Cardinals, establishing a new power within the galaxy. The Holy Dodger Empire defeated the Royal Cardinals, invaded the Mill of Waukee, and vanquished the 107-win Giants. In the meantime, the Holy Dodger Empire pillaged both the Purple Rockies and the Backs of Diamond in Arizona. These invasions increase the Empire's wealth tenfold. Their resources are unmatched. Their power is unquestioned. With the West and the Central firmly in control, the Holy Dodger Empire sets their sights on a new conquest, the Eastern Empire State. If the Holy Dodger Empire defeats Master Cohen and his Met army of queens, 
there will be nothing left to stop them from conquering the galaxy. To the south, a small resistance forms in San Diego. While outnumbered and outresourced, the resistance fights for their very existence against the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. It's a changing time in the galaxy. The once great Imperial Nationals of Washington have fallen. Years earlier, the Imperial Nationals once defeated the Holy Dodger Empire at the Battle of Strasbourg. Now, they find themselves bankrupt and selling pieces to the highest bidder. In this collapse, the Holy Dodger Empire captured a great captain known as Mad Max, who helped strengthen the Holy Dodger Empire's hold on the galaxy. However, Mad Max has escaped and defected to Master Cohen and the Met Army of Queens. He will spend whatever years he has left fighting to dismantle the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. And now, the legendary Imperial Captain Juan Soto has joined the Resistance after paying his debt to Kara the Hutt. To San Diego, Captain Juan Soto brings with him the Imperial National's mighty Josh Bell. Joining Captain Soto is Lord Hader, the supreme closer of the Mill of Waki, called to fight by the message of the Resistance and the possibility of bringing balance to the Force. The Resistance has paid a heavy price, yet they have never been closer to defeating the Holy Dodger Empire.